Good morning and welcome to PWGC's Environmental Echo. I am Paul Boyce, the host of the podcast and CEO and president of PW Grocer. And today we have another, I mean, we always have great shows, but today I'm really excited to have our guest. Uh, We've got Matt Cohen from the Long Island Association. You know, it's uh, been told to me it's sort of like the Chamber of Commerce for the entire island here, you know, which is, is really good for many aspects, but especially for the business community here on Long Island. Uh, and again, our topics are generally environmentally focused, but we'll see where this goes with Matt today, right? Yep, we're, absolutely. We're excited. So um, with that said, before we get into it, I just want to let our list- listeners know the best way to get a hold of us, if you guys have questions, comments, ideas, thoughts, you know, future <laughs> guests, topics, whatever, is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. That way you guys can just drop us a line or a note and uh, we'll get back to you in a, in a reasonable and responsive manner. Uh, and joining Matt, we also have Charlie Barthra from our office, who is a senior vice president. Uh, he was associated with our engineering group, but he still is. But he's uh, heads up our business development sector now. So we're, we're glad to have Charlie with us as well. Uh, before I get into that, let's um, let's give a little background on our, our main guest today, Matt. You know, uh, welcome, firstly. Um, I, I know you guys are based out of Melville here in Long Island, and you're the, the region's largest ad- business advocacy organization, as I said, sort of akin to a, you know, Giant Chamber of Commerce for yes. NASA and Suffolk, is, is, as, as it's been explained to me, you know, which, is, which is great. Uh, and since taking the reins of the LIA, Long Island Association, in May of 2021, so it's been a year now, you've been working tirelessly to address issues impacting Long Island's economy. Um, and that's, you know, the economy and the environment, they go hand in hand at times. So we'll see how, again, we'll see how this plays out today. Um, these, some of the advocacy issues have been improving the environment, infrastructure, affordability, uh, diversity support of small businesses and recovery from the pandemic, which, you know, you, you really stepped into it in, in May sure of last year, you know. Uh, but prior to being named president of the LIA, Matt has served as its, as its vice president of government, government, government affairs and communications for 10 years. And in that role, he was the chief lobbyist for the LIA. He has also had success, successful stints at the Long Island Power Authority, LIPA, and was Long Island director of the United States, for United States Senator Charles, or Chuck Schumer, as we all know him, and Matt has worked as an as an aide in the Suffolk County Executive's Office. Um, so with that, I, I, a little bit of his educational background, and this I did not know this, uh, <laughs> Matt earned a Bachelor of Arts History uh, with a concentration in American History from the University of Pennsylvania, and he got a JD from Hofstra. I didn't know you were a lawyer. I even passed the bar. Oh my gosh! And he was admitted <laughs> to the bar of the it state only, of New York. It in only July took se- of- it only took seven times, but no, I'm just it's like my cousin Vinny. Uh, <laughs> July of 2012. So that's uh, going on 10 years now. You've been a lawyer. Yes. A legit lawyer. A legit lawyer. All never, right. Never practiced, but I have. I, I could oh, if I gosh. needed to. And, and real quick, uh, <laughs> you live in Comac with your wife, Tracy, and your son, Jack, huh? How, yes. how old's your son? He's 11. 11. Well, sixth grade. He's in, if he's going to Comac uh, mi- uh, public school or middle school mm-hmm. next year, hopefully he gets the best math, math teacher in that school, Mrs. Boyce. Mrs. Boyce. My wife's That's a teacher there. At Comac Middle School? That's her. i got to remember that. He's All going right. in the sixth grade in the middle school next year. Uh, if he's lucky, he's going to get Mrs. Voice. Very Boyce. cool. Good. Sounds right. like a special request. Absolutely. <laughs> got to make that happen. I'm, I'm making a plug. <laughs> making a plug. All right. 
Uh, and as I mentioned, we got Charlie Bartha again, uh, uh, who's been a frequent guest and sort of co-host on the show at times with me. And Charlie, <coughs> thanks for joining us and to help talk about some of the topics we have on hand today. Welcome. Of course, and it's a pleasure to be here with Matt. Since, uh, I know Matt for virtually his entire career. I was going to say, this is such a treat. I didn't know I was doing it with Charlie, too. Yeah, My yeah. first job out of college was at the Suffolk County Executive's Office, and I met Charlie when I was 22. We've stayed in touch ever since. He was a legend then, yeah. so he's even more of a legend now. Well, not quite, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, all good stuff. So, guys, let's let's kick it off and give give our listeners what they want to hear about the, the topic at hand with, uh, you know, sort of Long Island's future. And uh, Matt, you know, since you've took the reins at the LIA, uh, what are some of the, some of the things you've learned? Some of the lessons you've learned? Uh, it's a very different job. I'm used to being the guy behind the guy. I've always been, you know, an aide to the county executive, an aide to uh, Senator Schumer, uh, you know, Kevin Law's right-hand man at LIPA and the LIA, and now it's a different role. It's a more public role. Uh, All of a sudden, I'm the most popular kid at school. A lot of requests to speak, uh, have meetings, et cetera. But it's it's been thrilling, and it's been challenging, but it's been exciting, and I think we're doing a lot of really great things. That, that's great. I mean, it's, it's, we're glad to have you as a guest, but we're also glad to have you in that role now. You know? Thank you. It's, and we're looking forward to a, to a bright future for the island with, with the organization. You, you certainly had uh, great training grounds, uh, and, and you weren't even in a training role. But, you know, Senator Schumer's office, uh, County Executive Halpin's office, right? Uh, Levy. 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 Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, and the uh, working 10 years with Kevin Law has got to be incredible. I've had some great mentors, uh, you know, between the senator and now the majority leader. Uh, and Kevin, I've been very fortunate to have two very good rabbis that I've learned a lot from. Uh, both different things, but very important things. Mm-hmm. All good stuff. Yeah. So to, to really get into this, you know, right away, what, what are the most prominent economic fa- issues facing the Long Island region today, in your opinion? Sure. And let, let me tell you, it relates to my vision for the LIA and what, you know, we want to be a forward-looking organization and we want to be tackling all the major issues facing the business community and our region as a whole. Let me back up a little bit. We're a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization, 501c6, which means we have a membership-based organization. So the strength of our organization really comes from our board of directors and our members like PW Grocer. Uh, That's how we're effective. That's how we're influential. So being nonpartisan, I don't care if it's a Democratic idea or Republican idea. I just care if it's a good Long Island idea. That's how I try it. That's my compass. And so the things that we've been focusing on now are, one, affordability. You know, we've been talking about it forever, but to me, it's clearly the existential issue facing Long Island. Being able to make Long Island more affordable for young professionals to stay here, raise their families, more affordable for businesses to stay here uh, and grow and create new jobs. We've got to extend, expand our tax base. Um, we're always going to be a high-cost region. We know that. So how do we address affordability issues? Well, there are a few things, right? Child care. We were talking, I was talking about child care as an economic development issue before the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly showed the dispa- you know, how big an impo- economic development issue it is, right? Uh, broadband, right? It showed that we need more broadband and more affordable broadband because it even brought to light more of the digital divide between underserved communities and communities that have it. Uh, we talk about downtowns, you know, and infrastructure improvements and transportation. We talk about uh, housing, right? Housing's key. You don't want to be, a lot of people don't want to be in their 20s, 30s, 40s, paying $3,000 for an apartment and not being able to save any money. You know, we need more affordable housing. We need more affordable rental apartments. We need more multifamily housing. And we need to engender an co- uh, environment where people have more home ownership opportunities. For the life of me, Paul, I don't know how anyone saves 
40, 50, 60, 70 grand to put down for a down payment for a house here. And if they can't do that, they can't do that because they're paying $3,000 for an apartment, maybe $1,000 or $2,000 for childcare, depending on how many children you have, your student loan payment, then put on top of everything else, your car, your cell phone, et cetera. This is a affordability is key. Uh, I don't know if you want me to keep going with some of the issues. or By all means, yeah. Okay, I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. Leading into my next topics and questions, you know. Uh, um, So we talk a lot about affordability. Uh, I think I have a, um, not a unique, but, you know, I think this is my generation now that's, I just turned 40 last December, and I have a lot of, not a lot, I have several friends, I should say, that have moved to Georgia, South Carolina. You know, these are places, because they couldn't, they couldn't afford to live here, and they weren't making $100,000 which isn't even, which may not even be enough for some people, weren't making $100,000 in their 20s, much less their 30s. Um, so anyway, we also talk about small businesses. You know, small businesses are the, the backbone of our economy here. About 90% of all businesses, 100,000 businesses or so, are small businesses on Long Island. Uh, they went through hell and back again during the pandemic, right? And when you think about it, these are real people. The person that runs the stationery store, that's your neighbor. The employee at the, you know, at the drugstore, that's your brother or your sister or your, or your friend, you know, these are real people and they really struggled. And, and for the ones that were able to keep their doors open, uh, God bless them. And I, I really think we have a resp- an imperative to try to support them. So we got to continue to trying to get them the government support they need and also patronize their businesses, shop in their, in, in your downtown, you know, make sure these small businesses are thriving and vibrant. So we talk a lot about that. I've been talking a lot about uh, making a more, or trying to uh, foster a more diverse, equitable and inclusive economy. I know a lot, you know, a lot of folks are talking about DEI these days. I want to talk about it, but I also want to walk the walk. So I'm, every time I speak, I talk about this message to the business community because, you know, of course, not only is it the right thing to do, it's an economic imperative. And I could show you study after study, including one on Long Island that the Urban League of Long Island did, that shows that the more diverse, equitable, inclusive economy you have, the more diverse business you have, right from the shop floor to the C-suite, the better your business is going to be. The more you're going to grow, the more you're going to be successful. And the more successful one business is, the more successful we all are because a rising tide lifts all boats. So I've been talking a lot about those three. And there's more, but I'll let you transition before no, I No, that, that, was, that was great. Uh, you know, the, they, they all hit home with us, you know, as fellow Long Islanders and, and part of the business community. But uh, to start with, you, you mentioned the affordability, right? Yep. What's, what are we doing? What's the solution? How do we make it so people don't have to flee the island and, and make things more affordable? I know property taxes are up. Mm-hmm. Cost of housing has gone way up, uh, especially with the pandemic mm-hmm. and everybody wanting to flee the cities and, you know, mm-hmm. people are cashing in on that. But where are you going to go? You know, what, what are we doing? Well, excuse me, before you yeah, jump sure. into that, let me throw a couple other things out related sure. to it. With respect to housing, and we do, we're involved with a number of housing projects uh, throughout Suffolk County. Mm-hmm. Um, and the to make them affordable is a very big challenge. Of course. Um, there's a challenge from the community, yep. whether they want to see that. A yep. lot of communities don't even want to see rentals. I know. Um, there's a, And Long Island continues to be way behind other regions as far and, as number of rental units. And think about how far we've come from a couple of decades yes. ago and the, you know, the, the way the community used to feel and the number of rental apartments. We've actually come a long way, and we still got a long way to go. Mm. So how do we convince communities and to accept this kind of housing as well as how do we make housing itself more affordable right and i think it's i think people's attitudes are evolving and it's been slow and incremental here but i think that it's going to accelerate and i think as millennials and generation z and keep you know keep growing up and keep being the ones that have these jobs here and buy these houses here and rent these apartments here 
I think we're going to get more and more. And I think that people look at places like downtown Patchogue, downtown Farmingdale, and they see downtown Rockville Center, and they see these are vibrant communities that they're going to want their kids to live in. Because at the end of the day, if you're in, if you're older and you have kids, you want them to have the same opportunity to live here and grow here and have a job here and have their family here that you did if they want to live here. And in order to have them do that, they can either stay in your basement apartment or in your house, or you can help them help create an environment where they can afford an apartment. You know, and back to your question, Paul, you know, look, there's no silver bullet. I think if there were, we would have found it out long ago. But I think the number, if I had to say number one, create good paying jobs. Because if you have someone that has a good paying job that's six figures or more or whatever it is, they're going to be able to afford things that maybe they can't afford now as a 25-year-old kid making 40000 60000 whatever it is. So I think we got to create good-paying jobs. And I think when I talked, uh, you know, child care, for example, when I talked about that, it's got to be more affordable. It's got to be more accessible. When I had my son's 11, uh, he was in child care, you know, many years ago at this point. But I was paying $1,000, you know, a month. It was great. It was, it's a lot of money. Um, and I was fortunate to be able to afford it. A lot of people aren't. Um, so... You know, and then I'm going to, well, I'll let you go and then I'll, because I have a couple other things I want to say, but I don't want to jump your questions. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, we're absolutely thrilled <clears throat> okay. to have you and, and, and learn all this stuff that you're able to share with us, uh, you know, but you also mentioned the diversity, equity, inclusion, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a business owner and uh, manager of the firm that, that is, you know, it's, it is <coughs> the priority for us too. You know, we've got to get the, get the message out and we've got to be more diverse. Uh, we're trying to encourage, um, you know, we're an engineering firm, environmental firm, so we're trying to even go beyond just, you know, the hiring phase and it starts to encourage the younger folks to get into the field. Yep. So there's there's more of a pool that we can actually utilize and, and hire. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. Are you having a difficult time finding the types of folks, whether no matter their race, gender, whatever, you, are you having trouble finding folks to fill engineering jobs here? Or Yes, there, we are. Okay. Absolutely. We've yeah. got open positions right now. Um, it's not as difficult to find the the entry level junior folks coming right out of school because there's yep. always a crop every year, yep. you know. But once you start to need more senior people, say five, ten years of experience or even higher, it's there's a real, real difficult problem with I've that been, right now. I've been hearing that from a lot of companies I've been talking to. They all say the very similar things, and they say the pandemic has actually exacerbated that because now people, oh, yeah. yeah remote, being able to work remotely, (laughs) you know, people wanting to live in Iowa and get paid a New York salary, but still work for a New York company. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are real challenges for the business community to grapple with and to figure out how to deal with. Yeah. I mean, obviously we we, want to hire local and stuff, but uh, we have had to go outside our um, geographic region here and we've done some remote hirings, even out of state. We have people now working for us. And I know companies, (laughs) I know one company in particular who told me they had, you know, employee based in on Long Island, didn't tell them moved to Iowa. That's why I use that example and was working for this Long Island company. They were a New Yorker from Iowa. They didn't even realize it. <laughs> no, and they were getting their New York salary. <laughs> but it's a challenge for that company because you keep paying them the New York salary. Now do yeah. you pay them an Iowa salary? It's, exactly. Or do they leave then? If they, yeah. It's very, it's messy. Well, it's, if, if we can certainly build them out at the New York rate, <laughs> yeah. there's no yeah. reason we shouldn't pay them at uh, a New York salary right. for, for I, sure, no matter where they are. I think you raised a really good approach uh, with respect to the affordability to tackle mm. it from the other end, to tackle it from have higher salaries right. for people, higher paying jobs. and uh, Totally. And that's why we have to, you know, New York doesn't have a great reputation in terms of their business climate. That's why we have to make sure that, especially the LIA, I'll bring it back to us too, you know, we have to be advocating in Albany, Washington, and locally for 
policies, regulations, laws that are going to improve the business climate and not scare more businesses away because we all know it is it's very I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's very difficult to conceive of the idea that we're going to lure a business from Texas or Georgia. They're probably not. We could try, but it's unlikely because it's so much cheaper to do business there. So what do we have to do? We need to encourage entrepreneurship and grow and incubate, incubate and grow companies here and develop them here and have them want to stay here. Uh, you know, we just added Henry Schein to our board of directors. Henry Schein's the only Fortune 500 company headquartered on Long Island. There used to be others, but not anymore. But think about that company. They were born here, grew here, developed here, added jobs here, has become an international Fortune 500 yeah. company, and they've stayed here. We've got to replicate that. We'll try to. Yeah, we need more of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about the LIA then. You know, membership is made up. Uh, it's not individual membership, but it's like business membership, correct? Yeah. Yes, correct. Uh, can you give us a breakdown of your sort of the demographics then, if, uh, if you yeah. will, of, of the membership of the LIA? We, we run the gamut, really, from the smallest businesses, you know, sole proprietorships to uh, the largest companies. You know, we, we go from the sole proprietor to, you know, the, the Canons, the Newsdays, the PSEGs, you know, the, the Henry Shines, right? Yeah, These the big employers guys. that have thousands or several hundred of employees. And we do every, you know, every sector. We represent the broader business community. We're not industry-based. Uh, we're not geographically based, so we'll have all sorts of companies, and we try to represent them all as best we can. Um, you know, I'm trying to put more of a focus and emphasis on small businesses because I think, whether rightly or wrongly, the LIA has often been perceived as being more about the big businesses. Uh, that's not true, but I'm trying to put more of an emphasis on small businesses. So we actually, on I'll plug it here, on June 16th, I think, we're having our first annual small business conference. It's going to be free for small businesses. And we're going to have... What constitutes a small business to the it, LIA? <laughs> <laughs> One to 25. Okay. For the purposes of okay. this. Um, and we are going to have some great speakers. We have the uh, regional administrator for the SBA. Uh, we're going to have the president of the United States Black Chamber of Commerce. Um, great. So it's going to be a good program. We're doing a lot of programmatic things, too. Uh, and going back to you, Charlie, and I'll tie this to the environment, you know, on Long Island and talking about, you know, creating good-paying jobs... On Long Island, the environment is our economy, right? I mean, we, we don't look at those two, the environment and the economy as being mutually exclusive. We have to, we could do both. Uh, we can maximize both. So, for example, we just had um, our first annual Evening of Honors on Tuesday night, which was an awards night. We gave out our medal of honor, which is our highest honor, to Orsted and Eversource, both our LIA board members. Orsted is, the, is an international offshore wind developer. Eversource is a leading transmission company that's, partnered with Orsted to do offshore wind. They are going, they are in the process of building the first offshore wind farm in New York state, South Fork wind. And it's right off the coast of Long Island. It's a big deal. You know, we talk a lot about creating a clean energy economy and clean energy jobs. We're doing it. And you know, there's supply chain opportunities, you know, for small businesses as well to get involved and be a part of this. Uh, the Hogland groups, a tier one supplier for Orsted and Eversource, and they're creating, a, they're going to have established a hundred union jobs, uh, onshore for their onshore work of the of the of the project, they're doing another project at Sunrise uh, called Sunrise Wind on Long Island. This is a big deal, and we have to capitalize on the fact that we're an island and we can do offshore wind. Uh, so we're doing a lot in that space. And oh, by the way, it's good for the environment because we're combating climate change. That's. I just had this conversation yesterday, as a matter of fact, with someone. You know, and I was I was mentioning, you know, 
And it was told to me, this isn't my thought, but the, the Stone Age didn't end because we ran out of stones, right? <laughs> so, like, uh, natural gas and fossil fuels, is, it's not yeah. going to end because we ran out of them. Yep. It's, it's got to end because it's got to end. It's, it's no longer any, we realize it's, it could be contributing to some real detriment to the environment and, and the planet and, you know, with carbon emissions and everything else. So people are trying to decarbonize. And you just brought up a, a great way of, of, of trying to get off that type of fuel for heating and electric and, and, and cooling and everything else. So, Absolutely. And at PW Grossa, we're, we're right in the midst of that because geothermal heating and cooling is a big oh, right. thing with us. And that's something that Paul is uh, the expert on. Uh, that was Well, that's what that whole conversation yesterday was about, that, that decarbonization, get, getting off the fossil fuels and getting over to more solar and wind. And, and geothermal was the, the basis of the, the discussion. So, yeah, that's... That is near and dear to us. Yeah. And, you know, that we will certainly try to promote and, and get people more interested in. Geothermal, solar, battery store. You know, these yep. are things that are happening and we got to be at the forefront of it. And I think we can be because we have these amazing research and academic institutions on Long Island. You know, not only are we known as having the best or one of the best K through 12 education systems in the country, we have leading universities and colleges, but we have a lot of research components. We also have Brookhaven National Laboratory a federal DO, Department of Energy lab on Long Island. That's a big deal. Not every region, much less every state, has one. That's right. And we have it here on Long Island. It's about 2,000-plus jobs, and they're on the cutting edge of technological and scientific research. And, in fact, the Department of Energy had to make a choice between BNL and a couple other labs to cite its brand-new electron-ion collider. They chose Long Island. Yeah. That's a $2 billion investment here. It's a big deal. You look at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory where they discovered DNA for, God, for Pete's sake. You know, you have Northwell Health and the Feinstein Institutes. You have Oscar University. You have Stony Brook University and everything they're doing there. I hope I'm not leaving anyone out. But we have this research <laughs> corridor that really can help us be a high-tech economy and create these good-paying jobs. And when we talk about, you know, the environment being our economy, we talk about renewable energy. Let's also talk about sewers. The light. Oh, you, oh, Did I read man. your mind? Are you reading my script here? Yes. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me. No, no, it's, <laughs> you're right. You're in sync with us. This is great. Let's go. That's, that is a, f a flavor that we really enjoy sinking our teeth into. Sewers, right, Charlie? Absolutely. I'm going right. to see if I can guess what's next after I do sewers. Um, <laughs> so, sewer, listen, we, the LA has been advocating for the expansion of sewers for a long time. Obviously, it's cer certainly rather, I should say, it's more of an issue in Suffolk County than Nassau. Um, you know, Suffolk County is, uh, is under sewered uh, in a big way. And that's, you know, historical and geographical. But, you know, sewers are high-tech sewer systems. And you see what the county executive Balone's trying to do with that. You know, clearly it's good for the environment, right, as opposed to having the cesspool, you know, in your backyard or whatnot. So it's good for the environment, especially these, these, these systems they have now. But it's also good for economic growth. Uh, you, you know, a lot of these downtowns can only grow if they have more sewers. Uh, so that's why, like in Kings Park, and Smithtown, and some of these places, we've been pushing for investments from the feds and the state in expanding the sewer network because businesses need to hook up to this. Houses are going to need to hook up to this if you're doing affordable rental apartments. So it's another huge issue here on Long Island. Uh, we we could go on and on of the benefits that would are behind sewers. You know, just you know, you mentioned the the, the growth in the economics and. But there's the, the really the environmental aspect, too, is, as you mentioned, you know, if it goes out to somebody's sanitary system in their front yard, we're putting all that nitrogen into mm -hmm. the ground. Well, now we're, we're no longer putting it into the ground, right? And there's still a lot in there that would have to dissipate over time. But, you know, we got to we can't just put a Band-Aid on it, you know. Yeah, we we got to tr treat the cause and the source. And, and, and there are these systems out there, which, you know, with Steve, and I assume, LIA driving uh, force behind it, along with Libby, that uh, the county executive, Steve Malone, has 
gotten the health department to be a little more progressive and can consider these systems because elsewhere in the country they've been used for years. And yeah. having spent most of my career in government, I understand it's a quantum leap to try something new. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's happened over the last several years. Well, one of the keys, though, is it's a balance, right, that we have to navigate because, of course, it's a good objective. It's a good goal. We want these systems. But they cost money. They cost a lot of money. And not every homeowner has 20 grand or whatever the, the number is to contribute to it. So we got to figure out a way to balance it and make sure that it's subsidized enough so that it's affordable for the homeowner. Mm-hmm. Are there any areas of, say, Suffolk County that the LIA is most interested in seeing sewers as like a priority? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, the Kings Park, Smithtown, St. James area is a big one. Um, and there are other downtowns like that. I've been really focusing on that because you have um, you have a supervisor there uh, at Wertheim who wants to do this, wants to grow. Um, so there is one. Former podcast guest as well. Oh, sorry, yeah, good guy, good guy, good <laughs> yes, guy. Yes, absolutely, so, I agree. So can I guess the next one? Uh, go ahead. All right, or one of the next ones. Mm-hmm. So back to the theme of the environment is our economy. Mm-hmm. Our waterways are part of our economy. It's mm-hmm. not just good to have clean water, clean drinking water, and clean surf- uh, clean water in the oceans and the bays and the rivers. It's important for our economy, too. Is that on the list? That was not on the list, oh. but we'll, we'll add it. All right, we'll add it. Uh, <laughs> you know, Please. Clean, clean water, you know, clean drinking water is, you know, we're a sole source aquifer here. We're very fortunate. Uh, clean drinking water is clearly important. But also think about the recreation economy that's bo- and the fishing economy that's a result of our waterways and being on the Atlantic Ocean. And, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, our fishing industry out here, although it's taken a hit over time, it's still vibrant out here. And, you know, go to Jones Beach. Look at all that recreation, you know, that's going on there. That's, econo- that's economic development, not just having a good time. Well, as speaking to our podcast producer, Tommy, before the show here, I was, I'm an avid surfer. Okay, there right? you go. So I love to spend as much time in the water as I can, yep. right? That's, that's how I you know, recreate and enjoy myself. Uh, one of the ways I do anyhow. And uh, yeah, clean water is imperative, you yeah. know, not only for the drinking, but for the, you know, fishing and surfing and, and swimming and boating and everything else we do as an island, you know? Totally. And think about it. You know, you're buying your surfboard at someplace local, and that's yep. going into that business, and that business person is using it for something on Long Island. You're going to wherever you're surfing. Let's say you're at Jones Beach. I don't know where there's good surf. I'm not a <laughs> surfer. Um, you, know, you go to Jones Beach, and then you know, you're buying from the concession stand. Yeah. You're paying the toll. You're doing this. You're doing that. It's all part of our economic development, too. Plus, um, it's an attractant for people to come here, right? We're very blessed, Absolutely. right? Our beaches, our waterways, it's an attractant. Tourism. Right, yep. tourism. We have a multi-billion dollar tourism economy. A lot of that's because of our waterways. Well, yeah. South Shore beaches in the summer. I mean, it's a major attraction, and we got to treat it like that. I've, I've been told because my I'm from the North Shore. I grew up in Northport, and my wife is from the South Shore. She grew up in Merrick, and she is not – very interested in going to North Shore beaches. He says only the South Shore has the uh, the real beaches. <laughs> I think Paul and I would agree. With I hundred percent agree with your wife. <laughs> no I, knock on my North Shore I, friends and family, I but <laughs> I said, listen, I don't mind stepping on rocks as I go into yeah, the water. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot fewer sharks up there too. <laughs> oh gosh! But uh, one other topic that you sure. know, it's a couple topics, but one that's this is to the engineering industry. Uh, on Long Island, this is this is a biggie. Uh, you've you've, and I'm sure the LA is well aware of this. That infrastructure bill that we've been hearing so yep. much about, it's passed, and it's you know trillions of dollars are going to be spent on you know rebuilding uh, roads, bridges, water, wastewater, telecommunications, airports, you know railways. Mm-hmm. Super super important, not just to the region but the entire country. 
What's the LIA's stance on on the infrastructure? Bill? Yeah, it's a it's a game changer for Long Island and the state. Really, uh, you know, we worked very closely with the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who yeah. deserves the lion's share of the credit for bringing this money home. Um, it's good to have the Senate Majority Leader be from your home state, uh, and I'm very fortunate to have worked for him because you know one of the things I learned or try to emulate from him is his work ethic. He's an animal, um, and he really cares. And the other thing, I'm digressing a little bit, but I'd mentioned earlier as being a mentor. One of the things I learned from Chuck is that he treats everybody with the same level of respect, whether, you know, he can go to office building from the janitor to the cafeteria worker to the landlord. To, he treats everyone the same, and he's still Senate Majority Leader. Big job in Washington a lot. Still visits each of the 62 counties in New York every year, and I keeps going to high school and college graduations. Wow. And I can guarantee you that if he's been to, let's say, the Baldwin High School Graduate uh, high school graduation. I bet you, if he goes back next year, he still remembers the principal's name. That's the kind of person he is. No, I, I agree. I, I was at the. Uh, I live in Bayport, right, mm-hmm. in South Shore, Long Island, and Suffolk County, and it was the St. Patty's Day parade a few years back. Sure. And there's Senator Chuck Schumer marching down Main Street. Really? I, 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 I swear to you, I couldn't I, yeah, believe yeah. it. I was I, I was shocked and impressed. I used to be. I, bef- <laughs> I mean, I. I eventually became his Long Island director, but when I was in high school, I interned for him in that Long Island office, and I was the one that used to hold, have to hold the sign that says, Meet Chuck Schumer. It was very embarrassing. Did they still use those signs? No. <laughs> Thank I, God I for those interns. The parade. No, no. He was there waving and saying <laughs> you know hello what? to everybody. Maybe back then he wasn't as well-known, yeah. so he had to hold the signs. Now he's everywhere. Uh, he's but <clears throat> to have him in such a huge position, I, mean, it's, I think it was huge. the day after Election Day, it was a meeting in our office, and we were talking about the implications of the election, and I said, no matter where people stand on issues... The fact that Chuck Schumer is going to be Senate Majority Leader exactly. is incredible for New York State exactly. and Long Island in particular. I think. You're totally right. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it's very good that Chuck Schumer is the Majority Leader. It's very good. Yeah. And just like just like state politics, when John Flanagan was the state uh, Senate Majority Leader, that was good for Long Island whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big deal when you have the leadership from uh, New York or from Long Island. So anyway, back to your question. Well, yeah. Are Would you guys you, advocating to, yeah. you know— a, Apply some of those dollars yes. to any specific projects within the region? Yeah, we've been, we worked closely with the majority leader. We worked closely with Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone and at the time, county, former county executive uh, Laura Curran. And we developed a list, a long list of projects, you know, that touch on everything you yeah. talked about, you know, yeah. sewers, roads, uh, bridges, broadband, uh, water. Uh, so, yes, I'll name some of the sexier ones. You know, there's going to be money going to MacArthur Airport okay. and redeveloping the Ronkonkoma Hub. Uh, you know, that's another game-changing type project. You talk about, uh, you know, real big transformational projects on Long Island. What various folks are trying to do in Ronkonkoma is, is huge. You know, they're trying to uh, expand the airport and connect it to have a, sort of more connectivity to the railroad station in Ronkonkoma, which is one of the busiest, if not the busiest, I think, rail station on Long Island. Plus, they have a whole plan that they're working on to develop an ec- a mixed-use economic development. It's going to look like Long Island's downtown. You know, they want to build a convention center there, which is good for business. You know, right now, if you're a business, the only convention center closest to us is the Javits Center. Yep. But we could attract a lot of businesses here for conferences and things like that if we had our own uh, our own uh, convention center. How about the Oakdale Merge? That's a big one, too. That, yeah, there's so many of them, right? <laughs> yeah. The Oakdale Merge is a big one, and I believe they just got money from the state to finish that, too. I, 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 th- I think uh, I think the governor put in money for the environmental study. Okay, yeah. Um, and speaking of the governor and the Oakdale Merge, uh, 
you know, in the state budget that was recently approved, Long Island also got a pot of $350 million. Uh, it's not, there's not a lot of specifics, uh, so we'll see where it goes. But we're working, again, working closely with the state Senate delegation, who is very resp- who's primarily responsible for that on our end, um, the county executives, the Regional Economic Development Council, to identify, again, with this pot of money, you don't want to put $100,000 there, a million here. You want to develop these transformational projects and put real money into it because then they may actually happen. Uh, so I, you know, we're going to be fighting for money for Ron Conkma Hub for sure out of the 350 million too. It's a good time for, this is a good time for Long Island. Good time. We have challenges, but we have opportunities. This pot, these pots of money are big, a big opportunity. And if you think about it this year, two of the largest infrastructure projects in the country, one of them I think is the largest are coming online. They're going to be operational this year, East side access and the third track. And for those that don't know the term East side access, it's, a Long Island Railroad train that goes in the Grand Central. That's game changing. That's huge. It's huge. It's <laughs> and, you know for all the the reasons you would think. You know, not only is it going to have enormous economic benefits, it's going to increase property values and it's going to get you to work faster. It's a big deal, and it's been again in the works for decades. It's finally happening. Third track. We're going to be able to encourage more reverse commuting. We still have to get more people back on the trains because there's some you know lull from the pandemic. But, you know, it'll take time and we'll get there and we got to keep investing in our system. And we got to make it, you know, again, more appealing for young professionals to stay here, more convenient, easier. Um, and those two projects are, you know, part of that. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end, but there are a couple. One thing I, I definitely want to talk about a little bit of energy, you know, like electrical, electric vehicles and, and alternative, you know, transportation modes. Uh, what's the LIA's stance on, on stuff like that? What are you guys doing to encourage that? Or is it on your, on your radar? What are you guys doing? Yeah. I, I like to think of us as a very forward thinking business organization. Uh, that's not just about, you know, anti-tax or anti this. I want to be for something, right? A lot of times business organizations are playing a lot of defense and they're against something. I want to be for things. And to us, Again, renewable energy and EVs and things like this are not just good for the environment, which is important for our economy, clearly. They are going to be economic engines. Uh, you know, we need to be doing more on EV. I think we're doing a really good job on solar here. We're clearly being a leader in offshore wind. Now let's be a leader on electric vehicles. Let's do more. You know, I, I'm in a parking lot that I share with um, Leviton. They have their own EV charging stations there. Oh, wow, that's great. We got to do more of that. We got to yeah. get more businesses and more parking lots to use our parking lots for EV charging stations. And we have to bring down the price point, have through incentives or whatever else it's going to be. We have to keep encouraging car manufacturers to make these types of cars. And, you know, much like no one was thinking there was going to be a windmill out in the, you know, out in the Atlantic Ocean two or three decades ago. I, I, and now it's going to be kind of commonplace, I think, in time. I think in time, you know, everyone's going to be driving an electric vehicle. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm looking at some manufacturers like Land Rover, Range Rover. A few years, they're going to be full electric, like Volvo, places like right. that. It's right. just you're not going to have a choice. Exactly, <laughs> so, exactly. And it's the, the infrastructure to keep those cars going. Um, yeah, I can give you, a, for instance, like my dad. He's, he's in a condo down in Florida. They mm-hmm. have a garage under the building Mm -hmm. they're now thinking of bringing in charging stations you know they just they're not going to have one at each spot for everyone but Mm -hmm. perhaps the next condos we start building with garages with spots they will have them you know so yeah uh, it's just it's it's one of those things paul you know uh, what year are we in 2022 yeah okay so let's say 10 years ago no one could have conceived of an iphone i don't know when the first one came out but or whatever it was and now now you can't live without it 100%. Then maybe that'll be the way it is with EVs. 
Well, we'll see. Time will tell, but I, I think we're certainly headed that way. You yeah. know, as, as I mentioned, that decarbonization, you know, whatever's happening to the climate, you know, and, and things like that, you know, global warming still, you know, I see it. I, I've said it on other podcasts, you know, ocean levels, they are rising. You yep. know, I, I told you, I spend a lot of time out there. You know, I've seen the tides getting higher and higher up on the beach and, you know, more and more erosion. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it's scary. It's going on, you know, whether you believe it or not. I've, I've seen it. And yeah, absolutely. And, you know, th- you know, th- Storms like Sandy and others, they don't just happen by accident. You know, 100-year storms are happening a lot more frequently. And you let, got let's, it. Let's be selfless here and think about our kids and our grand. I mean, we, we may not have to deal with it on a catastrophic level, but our kids and our grandkids may, and we want them to be able to have the life that we had. For sure. For sure. Charlie, anything you want to add? No, I'm good. And I think there's so many things we can talk to Matt about. We should have a uh, a re. Uh, we should have a follow up podcast. Follow-up. Sure, I, I do. Sure. I, know, I know you're short on time, but Matt, anything we didn't cover that you want to mention before we sign off for, for our listeners? Uh, I would just say, you know, I, PW Grocer is a member of the LIA, and we appreciate that. And I bring it up because, again, the LIA is uh, a business organization. You know, we do advocacy. We have networking opportunities. We have events where our members can hear from important speakers. But it's companies like yours and the work you're doing, Paul, and the work you're doing, Charlie, that make the LIA's role possible. You know, we're only as strong as our members. You guys are doing a great job. I've known PW Grocer for a long time. I'll name drop Nick Anastasi, who I also worked yeah. with a long time ago. Uh, it's a good group. You're doing great things. And I want to help be in the position to make your company more successful from my end as much as I can, help you help create an environment here where you can add jobs, find those engineers and grow and expand here and not say, Oh, we got to set up shop or uh, we got to close up shop or go somewhere else. Well, we, we appreciate that, Matt. And uh, we're, we're a proud member and I, I like being able to, you know, ha- have a place where I can meet and collaborate with my fellow Long Island businesses and, you know, try to help further the economy and, and get things done here on the Island. So we appreciate the work you're doing too. Thanks Paul. Keep it up. Um, so that's it. Thank you, our listeners, for listening again. Uh, This is the Environmental Echo. I am Paul Boyce, the CEO and president of PW Grocer. Again, our our, our guest today was Matt Cohen with the Long Island Association and uh, my sidekick over here, Charlie Bartha, who is also a PW Grocer member. Uh, Lastly, if you guys, just to reiterate, if you need to get a hold of us, www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. Uh, Again, I want to thank you for listening, and we're signing off for another really interesting podcast. Thank you.